0: Welcome back to another episode of the Caught Red Podcast. I'm Jesse Light.
1: I'm Megan Light.
0: We are two dog lovers talking true crime, horror movies, and probably our dogs too. They're behaving so well up here with us while we record.
1: I was just thinking, Derby, Mowgli, Falco, always together because they were raised together and then Ripley's always on her own.
0: Off to the side, Mm -hmm. yeah. I think it was like, what, episode four or five when we just started letting them in the room? Yeah. All the time?
1: I think so. That sounds about right. Because
0: Ripley just started attempting to open the door with her raptor claws, and we just yeah. had enough of that. <laughs> Having to pause and go tend to her and then start back or her, over. And... Or
1: her yelling outside the door, cooing.
0: Yeah. Ooh. they they stay pretty quiet unless it's it's my turn to tell the story, then Derby's like huffing and puffing.
1: I literally just fed them, so they're good.
0: They'll be all right. So we discussed doing two cases this week, but with Thanksgiving coming up, we're going to stick with the one for you guys, and then next week I think we'll have a true crime case and a bonus episode as well.
1: Is that what you want to do? I
0: think that's what we're going to do.
1: I, I didn't know that's <laughs> what we were going to do, but I guess we're doing that. We did talk about doing... Something different for a bonus one, so we'll have to work on
0: that. We got time to talk about it. Yeah, but I needed a little extra time for mine. Megan actually ordered a book for me that had to do with my case for next week, and
1: I'm pleasantly surprised you finished it.
0: How I read fast too. Huh? I
1: read two books to your like one third of book at the beach, so.
0: Well, I was listening to music. I was looking at the waves.
1: I was listening to music <laughs> and looking at the waves. <laughs> no. Yeah.
0: So this book's called Demon in Disguise by Ashley Elliott, if anyone is interested. I did skip around and stuff. I was more focused on the bits about the trial that goes along with it, but it was a good book. Oh, and dude.
1: Dude. Have we, talked,
0: we hadn't talked about dash cam yet, have we?
1: No no
0: <laughs> dash cam
1: semen demon so shout
0: out to ashley lawrence and the lawrence herd for recommending this one to us oh my us. god that movie was wild so definitely unique for sure
1: it was on hulu i don't know if it, you can watch it anywhere else but and that was that was cr- it,
0: I <laughs> it was very entertaining yes so A- oh annie my. hardy goes that's her name in real life too right yeah that's her so she goes on a trip to england to see one of her best friends and ends up on a road trip filled with just horror it's crazy chaos and she's live streaming throughout the whole night so all of her viewers are reacting in the comments on the screen and i was just caught up reading all the crazy shit that they were saying and oh man and the connections lost like every now and then and then when the connection pops back up, these people are like, What the hell just happened? Where is everybody? Yeah. I I liked it. I
1: did too. That was great. Oh my god, I laughed so hard.
0: I was dying the whole time. And then I guess what we watched some more nailed it. Nailed some it. Older episodes.
1: Nailed it. <laughs> what did I start last night? Secrets of the morgue. It's like another A crime show, like 48 Hours and that sort. They talk about different crimes. I did kind of doze off, though, and I woke up and I was like, oh, it's over. I don't know how many episodes there are in that series, though, so we'll have to start that back again. Yeah. I liked it. It was just too late.
0: Too late to binge it? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I feel like a failure.
0: Well, I believe that's it for... The week, this week's movies and all that. Uh, Megan has a great episode planned for us today. I hope so. You ready to do this thing?
1: I think I am. Okay, so we're going to kick it off with our sources. We have WHMI.com, Hometown Life, Click on Detroit, Medium.com, Front Page Detectives, Fox 2 Detroit, uh, The Charlie Project, Namus freewkar.org WKAR.org, and the Michigan Department of Corrections. So for today's episode, I wanted to be different, but not different. So I'm doing like a local adjacent is what I'm calling it. And when I say that, I mean, I'm going to take us to my mom's home state of Michigan.
0: Local adjacent. Local like adjacent, that. yes. Yeah.
1: My goal was to find something more in her hometown, but I got pretty close. She's from Livonia, Michigan. It's just right outside Detroit. And initially, I was going to tell the story of this one teenager, but ever since I started to research, I found four, maybe more, local teens and young women that all disappeared. These young girls are very similar in the ways that they were taken from places, and these places were like a small vicinity from one another. They're very close in time, plus their ages. What I'm going to do is tell you about each of the girls tell their story, and then get into a potential suspect. And with that suspect, I'm going to tell the story of one of his known victims and then some other girls that may or may not be connected to him as well.
0: Was there a lot of different suspects throughout, or are they focused on this one dude?
1: Well, the first few girls I'm going to talk about, only one out of the four they connected to this man, but it wouldn't be for like 30 or 40 years. Dang. So... Like I said,
0: so that's what you're talking about—thirty or forty years down the road, people having to wait yes. compared to the the uh, parents in Idaho saying after two or three days that they were like,
1: "Where are my answers?" Yeah, yeah. Of course, we can speculate later. Oh yeah, yeah. As for these young women, I'm going to tell you about them in chronological order. These first four abductions all occurred between 1981 and 1983. So the first young woman in today's episode is Anna Marie Doragazi. She was 20 years old when she was abducted and found days later. Her body was found in a ditch near Camp Dilborn in Milford Township. Camp Dilborn is just what it says, it is home to camping spots, cabin rentals. It opened up in 1948 and is still a very popular site to visit today. It has roughly 626 acres complete with ponds, lakes, as well as access to the Huron River. In September 1981, Anna worked there as part of the maintenance crew. She was going into her third year. She would go help set up tents, any festivities, things of that sort that the campground would have. She lived on site in a trailer. She didn't have a car, and when she couldn't get a ride from anyone, she would walk. It was not uncommon to see her walk along uh, General Motors Road to a nearby gas station to get sodas or cigarettes. The last time anyone saw Anna was on September 26th. It was a woman that was using one of the bathhouses. When they find her remains on the 29th in that ditch not far from the campground, she was partially clothed, but the coroner concluded that it didn't seem as though she was sexually assaulted. They couldn't determine it. Her shirt was pulled over her head, and her pants and her underwear were nearby. She was found with signs of strangulation, and they decided that had been her cause of death. Investigators thought that she had been placed there recently. The night prior had been a rainstorm, but her body was not wet. They concluded that she was killed elsewhere and placed there just west of Martindale Road off General Motors Road. It seemed as though her killer wanted her found, and she was. Her remains were found by a young boy. Bill Peterson, a now-retired Detroit homicide detective, said if he wanted to dispose of the body, he should have chosen a different place. The body was in a clear view from the road. I would say she was placed there in the morning because it had rained during the night and she was completely dry. It was doubtful that robbery was a motive because near her body was her purse with money still inside. Sergeant Ed Pilch of the Milford Police thinks that they have an idea of who the killer might be. And for the last 40 years, they've been trying to establish enough evidence to proceed. But the trouble with cold cases has been the limited amount of physical evidence to test and not be able to use up all the samples. Plus, who knows where any potential witnesses might be living now if they are still living.
0: 40 years. Gosh.
1: No one has been named a suspect, but they think she knew her murderer. Her brother, Bill, was a camp counselor during the 80s. He said what happened to his sister when she was there still haunts him. He describes her as an independent and strong woman who could take care of herself. No one really even knew to look for her because she was, she was not scheduled for the days when she was missing. And being independent, it was not unusual for her to not check in. Apparently, there was an anonymous letter typed and sent to the police about her murder, but they still can't share those details. The cold case investigators do hope that as technology advances, more information will be available. Just
0: what? wonder if it's... I mean, somebody had to have been scoping her out for mm-hmm. a while.
1: When you work at a campground, people come and go
0: yeah.
1: all year round. True. The next young woman I want to tell you about was the initial one I had come across and the one that led me down the rabbit hole. Anna Doragazi was in an 81, and in the following year, 1982, 16-year-old Kimberly Sue Louizel went missing and her remains found. Kimberly would last be seen on March 20th walking near 8 Mile... You know where that is. Yes. Yes, your boy.
0: Marshall Mathers.
1: Walking near 8 Mile and Merriman Road, which are close to Livonia. Livonia, like I said, that's mom's hometown. Her nude body wouldn't be found until April 14th or the 15th, almost a month later. She was found off a trail at Island State Recreational Area in Green Oak Township. Kimberly had her whole life ahead of her, had even dreamed of being a nurse, but like a lot of young girls in high school with boyfriends, they think they're the one. She was heartbroken when her boyfriend moved away to another town of Redford. Kimberly and her family lived in South Lyon. She wanted to go visit him, but her parents were not thrilled, and they did not want her to go. Kimberly told her then 13-year-old sister, Cindy, that she was going to go, and she'll find a way to get there. Redford is 25 miles away from her home. It was not unusual for Kim to hitchhike, which... Hitchhiking was, like, normal, you know, back back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, She made her sister promise to not tell their parents. Kimberly does end up finding a ride, but her arrival was not as welcoming as she had hoped. The distance between her and her boyfriend was straining on the relationship, and her boyfriend started seeing girls that were in his area. Needless to say, they broke up. And I hate that because I read that she went from this aspiring nurse to dropping out of school at 16 because of this boyfriend. She wanted to be with him and near him, so she... Left school.
0: Well, that's sad. Come on, bro.
1: Kimberly left her home on March 18th and made her way to Redford. She finds out about her boyfriend and these other girls. She stays with them a couple of days, hoping things between her and him could reunite. But obviously that doesn't happen. One of his family members calls her house on the 21st, letting them know that Kimberly would be coming home soon. Her brother's boyfriend gives her a ride, and I saw on two accounts that either the boyfriend's brother dropped her off at 8 Mile and Merriman Road or a bystander saw her get picked up at another location and dropped off there at 8 Mile and Merriman Road. I couldn't figure out which one was true. Her sister Cindy told Hometown Life that she was informed that Kim had made upward of at least four phone calls that day, so four potential rides, but who knows the accuracy of that. It could have been more or less, and any one of those people could have taken Kim and ended her life. Kim's parents worked hard to convince the police that she was not some other runaway and that something had happened to her. They would all be waiting, hoping for news, any sighting, anything. It would be almost a month later when her body was discovered. 24 days of not knowing, only to find out that she was killed but it also appeared that she had been beaten, raped, and strangled. Her body was discovered by a man on a walk with his wife and their dog. The man saw her first and didn't want his wife to see the horrible scene, so he blocked her vision, told her to go call the police. Many people were interviewed, but there were very few leads. The police did fear that Kim wasn't the only or the first victim of this mysterious killer. They did rule out the boyfriend because he was at work at the time that she was believed to have gone missing. The Michigan State Police reopened her case several times, but they ended up without any new progress. Kim and her sister Cindy were very close, and Cindy works hard to keep her sister's name up there and has never given up hope. It has led her to bring attention to other young girls and women who have gone missing in the Detroit area. And the next girl that I'm going to talk about is one that Cindy actually included on a missing persons flyer that she had made for her sister. This next girl is Kelly Marie Brownlee, who went missing two months after Kim. Cindy found it too much of a coincidence that they were similar and in the same vicinity and in the same time frame. Kelly Marie Brownlee was a beautiful brunette, only 17 years old, and she went missing on the early afternoon of May 20th, also in 1982. Kelly was from Novi, which is 10 miles from South Lyon, Kim's home, 20 miles from Redford, where Kim was last seen, and 15 miles or so from Milford Township where Anna was last seen. Kelly had been at the 12 Oaks Mall. She had planned on spending the day at the mall, but not to shop, but to apply at every store possible. Her goal was to find a summer job and beat all the college kids who would be coming home and needing jobs too. She skipped school that day to get a head start. She didn't have a driver's license, and like Kim, she was known to hitchhike. She did arrive at the mall, according to witnesses, She even filled out several retail store applications. Around 11 a.m., a mom of one of Kelly's friends sees her and offers her a ride back home, but Kelly declined. She wanted to stay and applied a few more stores. This was the last known sighting before she disappeared. Kelly was only looking to better herself and give herself some more independence. Life had been a little more difficult for her recently. She moved out of her home and into her boyfriend Mark's home which is fine. His family loved her, adored her, and opened arms, welcomed her in. She had been making some abuse allegations against her stepfather. The move was hard because she missed her mother, Loretta, but there was no way she was going to stay in that home any longer. Kelly's older sister had accused the stepfather, Paul, of sexual abuse, and he ended up pleading guilty to fourth-degree criminal sexual misconduct. Her sister had moved to California to live with their biological father, but Kelly decided to stay in Michigan to be with their mother. Kelly would appear to have bruises, so who knows what her mother endured. But her mother was finding the courage to leave Paul. She was very, very close to finishing nursing school. Once she graduated, she'd be able to support her and Kelly. Her mother being in school and being dependent on Paul was the main reason Kelly went to find a job. She wanted to help kick his ass out as soon as possible and reunite with her mother. Her boyfriend didn't expect to see Kelly until some time after he got home from school since she had skipped, but he began to worry about 9 p.m. when there was no sign of her. He called some of her friends, hoping she ran into one of them and decided to go home with them. A few more hours would pass, and Mark, the boyfriend, decided to call Kelly's mom. One of the friends actually offered to do it, but she almost panicked due to her own hysteria, and then that led Kelly's mom to being hysterical as well when they were telling her that Kelly was missing. It was about 11 p.m. or so when Loretta, Kelly's mom, decided to notify the police. Obviously, the first person interviewed was Mark. He was rolled out early on. Please note that last sighting was with the mom of the, one of her friends at 11. From that point, what happened? Did she leave with a stranger? Did someone pick her up? Did she go willingly, unwillingly? Did her stepfather, Paul, have something to do with it? We know he had a motive. All we know is that by 1985, Loretta did divorce Paul. Detectives received tips, but there were no solid leads. Sightings of Kelly in certain areas were coming available, but of course none of them were able to be confirmed. Her case will go cold. In 2018, so that was 82, so from 82 to 2018, police announced that Kelly could have been the victim of Arthur Ream, who is a suspected serial killer. I'm going to bring up Arthur Ream here in a few minutes. I want to finish talking about One More Girl. Kelly Marie Brownlee was a genuinely sweet girl. She didn't get into much trouble. I smiled when I read her descriptions that her friends gave about her, saying how she listened to heavy metal and was in love with Ozzy Osbourne. I love that she was like a little punk teenager. Kelly told her mother that her motto was live, love, and laugh, and she definitely lived by that. She was slightly rebellious but always polite with a big heart. This next young girl that I want to bring attention to is 19-year-old Christina Caslione. Christina was last seen almost a year to the day that Kimberly Louiselle disappeared on March 19, 1983. She was spotted around 7.30 p.m., almost to maybe 9.30 p.m. It was sometime in that time range by some friends that said she was walking ro- along Five Mile Road in Redford. Remember, Redford is where Kimberly's boyfriend and his family moved to and where Kimberly was last seen. When her friends saw her, they went on ahead and pulled into this parking lot expecting to see her when she caught up to them, but she never did. There was one report that someone saw her hitchhiking to Lola Valley. If that was true, then that is the last sighting, but the time was unknown. Ten days later, on March 29th, her remains were found in Oak Grove State game area, that area is a park locating in Livingston County, which is not the same county where Redford is located. And just like Kimberly, Christina was sexually assaulted and strangled. Based on the scene, it seemed as though she was left in this location before a heavy snowfall. She had only been discovered once the snow melted away. The police did look at a man to be a prime suspect. who was the man that found the body, Ron Latia?
0: The man that found the body was the prime suspect? That's who they
1: decided was the prime suspect.
0: That sounds hard to believe.
1: Well, Latia's brother owned property close by, but he had no excuse to why he was in the area, because normally you would go to hunt or fish, and he had no pole or no gun. So they suspected he had something to do with it, or else how would he just stumble across her body? But DNA would come back and show that he had no involvement. I came across two versions of her last being seen. The one was about the friends spotting her when she was walking. We have no idea where from or why or where she was headed. The other version is that she was in the vehicle with the friends and had gotten into an argument with the boyfriend and wanted out. The detectives then and now are working on this cold case. They said that there's only one good thing about Christina's case, and that's the fact that they have DNA that will hopefully match somebody in the future.
0: Oh, good.
1: Yeah. Hers and Kimberly's cases are eerily similar in multiple ways. Their deaths, the areas, the time period, but also Kim's body was found almost 30 miles from where she was taken in a state park-like area. Christina's body was also found a long ways from her abduction site, nearly 50 miles, also in a state park area. And the two state park locations were about 20 or 25 miles from each other.
0: Well, these are the reasons why people don't hitchhike anymore. These stories like this.
1: Yes. And you just don't know with people nowadays for sure. Yeah. When I spoke about Kelly Brownlee, I mentioned a man named Arthur Rehm. Rehm was not a very good man. He was born May 9th, 1949, making him 73 years old today. He is currently a prisoner at Bellamy Creek Correctional Facility in Iona, Michigan. He has three sentences. The first offense is the indecency liberties of a child. Second offense is criminal sexual conduct in the third degree, persons 13 to 15. And the third offense is homicide, murder in the first degree, premeditated. What brought on these charges? On April 20th, 1986, 13-year-old Cindy Zarzowski disappeared from East Point. East Point is about 26 miles or so from Livonia. Cindy was dating Reem's son, and that's how he knew her. She most likely trusted him as he offered her a ride when he picked her up from the local Dairy Queen. Reem would rape and murder her.
0: What year was this?
1: 1986.
0: So this was after all the other ones? Yeah, the
1: last girl I spoke about was 83. Yeah. So just a few more years. It'll be about 20 years, though, until police will piece it all together. In 2008, a detective had been putting together information about Ream due to his past and his obsessions with younger girls. Prior to Cindy, Ream had served time for another child sexual offense in 1975, and then again in 1998. Eric Smith, a county prosecutor, said that in 2008, four more women came up to him saying they were sexually assaulted, so that led them to start digging into Ream. When they go interview him, he was in prison again in 2008 for the rape of a 15-year-old girl. This is when he came forward about Cindy to tell them where her body was, in a wooded area just south of 23 Mile Road in McComb Township. In prison, Reem bragged on and on about how many girls he allegedly murdered and raped, nearly eight, maybe seven, maybe six. He couldn't remember. Naturally, the police weren't surprised because they already figured he was a serial killer.
0: So he went to jail for killing his son's Girlfriend. He
1: was already in jail for other charges, um, assault on young girls, when they figured out that was him and he came forward. Oh. So he was already in jail, in prison, serving time. So they just.
0: They didn't figure out this stuff till later.
1: Right. He went into prison in uh, 98. They found out about all this in 2008. So he was already in prison. Because
0: I was about to say, how are they letting him out of jail after all this? No, 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 no. He was already in
1: there. He was in there. Then 10 more years go by, and in May of 2018, the police start digging up around 24 acres around where Cindy's body was found, thinking they would be seven or more bodies like he was claiming, but no other remains were found, and of course, Reem now denies any involvement in any other crimes like rapes or murder. But he was able to draw the, a map for the police, which led them to find Cindy's body so they know that he knows that area very well. I doubt the police believe him when he says he didn't do any other ones because they do believe he's responsible for Kelly Brownlee and others. And these other teenagers that I'm about to tell y'all about fit his type. So the first is going to be January 19th, 1970. We have 13-year-old Cynthia Kuhn who vanished from Ann Arbor. She's walking the one-mile truck to her junior high and she was never seen again. She had no history of being a runaway. She did very well in school. But what is really weird about her case and like any of these others is that she disappeared on January 19th. But on April 1st, maybe the 2nd, her parents said that she called them twice in two hours from somewhere in Detroit, even though she couldn't tell them where she was. And then like a month later, some relatives of hers got a a ransom kind of like call. But that was it. Nothing else. Nothing else is known. Another girl is 16-year-old Nadine O'Dell. She was last seen in the late hours of August 16, 1974. She was walking on John Daly Road in Inkster. Yeah, you heard me. John Daly.
0: John Daly.
1: Headed to her boyfriend's house to babysit. Her boyfriend was going to meet her halfway, and then the two of them were going to walk back to his house together, but he never came across her. He went back to her house, and she wasn't there either. She was never seen again. Next is 12-year-old Kimberly King from Warren. She disappeared September sixteenth, 1979. She was walking around her grandmother's neighborhood. She used a pay phone about 11 o'clock at night to let her grandmother know that either she was going to stay at a friend's house across the street or she was coming home. Her little sister Connie couldn't recall after all the years.
0: How old was she? 12. At 11 o'clock at night? Yeah. Girl, you should be in bed. (laughs) What are
1: you doing? 70s. Things were different, love. That was the last time Kimberly King was going to be heard from. Police do think her vanishing is connected to Ream, but the Roseville police received a letter in 1983. She was taken in 79 from a mysterious man claiming that he and a partner took, raped her, and murdered her. The letter said where her body was left, but nothing was ever found there. Someone else claimed to have seen her hitchhike to White Castle. And then there was David Norberg, a suspect in four of the Oakland County child killings who had a potential connection to Kim King. He lived two blocks away, but he died before that letter was sent. Another girl. And this will be the, the last one that I bring up. Her name is Kimberly Marie Laurel. She disappeared June 8th, 1981. Kim was a troubled 15-year-old girl. She was known to hitchhike, but unlike the, the rest of these young women, she did have a history of running away and she did dabble in drug use. We don't know what kinds. But she also wanted to be wanted. If she ran away, she always contacted somebody she knew.
0: I want you to want me. I like that song.
1: She was last seen at Stroh's Ice Cream Parlor in Canton Township where her best friend was working. The girls and others had planned to meet up in Hines Park later that night Kim would never show, and it would be a few days before anyone reported her missing. Reem is a piece of shit. Oh, yeah. We know this. Police know that he likes to play mind games and twist words and situations. He tried to gain a sympathy card. He told reporters that the police should apologize to taxpayers for all the money they spent searching for remains and apologize to the families of these girls for stirring up some bad memories, and that he deserves an apology because they were dragging his name through the mud.
0: So he's leading them on a wild goose chase through the woods and stuff, just to for fun, probably. Well,
1: he never said—well, I mean, it was like allegedly that he killed these girls, and they just suspected he had, and they decided to look in the area where he buried Cindy's body— thinking that if he had killed these girls, that's where they would be.
0: So he drew a map for Cindy's body?
1: He drew a map for And it her. was actually
0: there where she was? Yes. Okay. Well, heck, he could have wrote those letters, too. I mean, it sounds that's like true. something he would probably do just he, for, like, the heck of it.
1: Probably, because he's sickle, nasty yes. man. Nasty man. Police Commissioner Bill Dwyer said if anybody owes an apology, it's him. He's the one in prison for life for rape and murder. So I know that was like a lot of names and dates and places and such, so I thought I would do like a little recap. We have Anna Marie Doragazi, 20 years old, last seen September 26, 1981, in Milford Township, strangled and unknown if she was sexually assaulted. Kimberly Sue Louiselle, 16 years old, last seen March 20, 1982, from South Lyon, she was found in Redford, strangled and sexually abused. Kelly Marie Brownlee, 17 years old, last seen May 20th, 1982 from Novi, never found. Christina Castilloon, 16 years old, last seen March 19th, 1983 from Redford, found in Livingston County, strangled and sexually assaulted. Cynthia Coon, 13 years old, last seen January 19th, 1970 from Ann Arbor, never found. Nadine O'Dell, 16 years old, last seen August 16, 1974, from Inkster, never found. Kimberly King, 12 years old, last seen September 16, 1979, from Warren, never found. Kimberly Marie Lauro, 15 years old, last seen June 8, 1981, from Canton Township, never found. The only known victim of Arthurine was Cindy Zarzetsky, 13 years old, last seen April twentieth. 1986 from east point found in mccabe township in 2008
0: so these are all in the 70s and 80s all around the same age all in the same area
1: more or less yes besides cindy there is suspicion that cynthia coon nadine odell kim king kim laura and maybe kelly brownlee were victims of reen not to mention with cindy as the exception the remains of these other young girls were never found As far as I could find uh, when it comes to the whereabouts of Reem, is that he was in prison for a sexual assault of a hitchhiker in Shelby Township from roughly 1974 and then released in 1978. Then back in prison, this is what you were talking about, Mm -hmm. back in prison in 1998 for third degree sexual misconduct of a 14-year-old, given 15 years for that. And while in prison, he was charged with Cindy's murder. He has not been released since. And I'm not saying that he's responsible for all these girls and the women, but he was roaming freely when each occurred. Yeah. It's,
0: How old is he now? He's still...
1: He's 73. He's still alive in prison. They need to
0: be like on that Blackbird show and have somebody go in there and try and oh, get and him <laughs> to confess on all these. Maybe. You know? It could happen. Blackbird, right? That's what that... Yeah. yeah.
1: Blackbird, you had that right. Yeah. I saw a guy that looked like the... The the crazy oh. the crazy do when I went to bargain hunt today Better that's watch the first out. One I thought He's of creepy. I was like
0: shit he is a psychopath
1: it seems too coincidental that a lot of these similarities in the cases were just that similarities what are the odds all these cases happened close in time in a pretty small vicinity the furthest A to B points were less than sixty miles there are so many families that never got answers. I don't know what would be better, though, to have your child found, dead, or never found. After 40 years, I doubt any of these missing girls' families had any hope they'd still be alive, but there's always that chance. And for those that were lucky enough to put their child to rest, is that all that matters? Is that enough closure? Or do they still hope that a killer is going to be found and brought to justice? After all, 40 years, that's really hard to think about. Click on Detroit, the Channel 4 News' website, has been working on keeping attention on unsolved and missing person cases from around the state of Michigan. It is their hope to generate any leads that can help investigators and potentially close a case for families. They have a form on their site for anyone that wants to submit a tip for a cold case or anyone that has a cold case and you want them to look into it. You can choose to be anonymous. If you like, you can go to www.1800speakup.org and utilize all the tools that crime stoppers in Michigan offer. And that is the sad case of nine young teen and women that lost their chance to live a life full of love and happiness, but maybe one day they'll be able to be put to rest.
0: That's so sad. It's like uh you know, it very well could have been Reem and it could have been anybody just like him. I mean Jessica Baggin in Sitka Alaska, the case I did. It's just there's a guy always that lived some, up the street. Some piece of shit that's out there that's scoping out these girls that are walking alone on the road or trying to hitchhike or something like that and easy easy targets mm-hmm. wrong place at the wrong time that they
1: Well, I mean, everybody was so trusting back then. You see some old man you think he's a nice guy, give you a ride somewhere or some, you know, really nice-looking, you know, young man or I'm just glad or most even a people, female, even a female, you don't know.
0: Yeah, I'm just glad most people Think twice before hitchhiking. Now well, we have think,
1: like Uber and stuff nowadays, but even still, then, you have to really.
0: I trust in many yeah, Uber exactly. drivers. Yeah, exactly. That's
1: what I'm saying. You don't know. Like I, I remember reading a case about a girl that was supposed to be picked up by an Uber, and she didn't double check the driver or the car, and got into just some random person's car, and he ended up killing her too.
0: Yeah, I mean, what kind of background checks does Uber do on their They're workers. I don't know.
1: I don't know. And it makes me think back to all the days, my wild days, when I would just, like, go out, and then we'd order Uber or Lyft or something and go back to the house. I mean, we did it every weekend just about, you know? like
0: Your wild days. My
1: wild days. (laughs) And now here I am drinking coffee at 445.
0: Yeah, you're ready for a hot bath. I am.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We got to go to the grocery store, though. Oh,
0: yeah hot bath and some law and order svu huh you
1: damn right <laughs> that's my life now i love it full of fur
0: hmm. well that's sad
1: i'm sorry to depress you on a monday yeah you're welcome
0: well that wraps up today's episode thanks for listening you can follow us on instagram at cotredpodcast podcast p-a-w-d you can visit our re- our website at www.cotredpodcast.com and leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast and we hope everyone has safe travels over the holidays and has a happy Thanksgiving.
1: Happy Turkey Day. Yes.
0: We had one listener say they were going from Florida all the way to North Carolina, which I don't really know. That's not too bad, but safe travels.
1: I don't even want to travel within the state, though. You can be. I'm well, glad ours are on separate days because like, a lot of families have to rush from place to place to place in one day hell no you coming here
0: i can let my belly settle and then eat again the next day yeah
1: i was thinking earlier (laughs) if i end up making mac and cheese three times you're gonna have three days (laughs) worth of leftovers to eat and i know that's gonna be like heaven for you i'm
0: good that's fine with me yeah we're lucky we only have to drive what 10 minutes to my parents house and about 45 minutes to megan's
1: yeah, on separate days.
0: Yeah, separate days. I can't wait for all the food, all the seconds, all the thirds, all the fourths that I'm piece about to of have.
1: Shit
0: after this. <laughs> all the football I get to watch. Oh
1: my god!
0: And I've been doing a bunch of cardio leading up to this. Oh, I, is
1: that all? Yeah. Is that why you've been running so much? Yeah,
0: I told my dad the oh other day god. that I really just work out so I can eat more. It, it cancels out, right? I mean, uh, I said three miles sure. equals three slices of pizza, so. <laughs> And then we got Friendsgiving Saturday, too. Mm-hmm. I'm pumped. Yes.
1: Jesse's going to be a piece of garbage yes. by Sunday.
0: Or in this week's case, three plates of sweet potato casserole instead um. of the pizza. So. Oh, well, that's true. Yeah. Well. Very true. You want to close this out?
1: Okay. Guys, stay local, shop local, murder local.